Good morning, friends. Our scripture today is from 1 Peter, uh, verse 1, chapter, or sorry, chapter 1, sorry, verses 3 through 9. It's on page 1116, if you have your blue Bibles. And uh, we'll begin. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, the tested uh, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a great day that you have given us. Lord, thank you for this time that we can gather together. Uh, to worship you, Lord, to adore Christ, who makes all things possible. And Lord, ask that you would uh, impress upon our hearts the truth of your word that will be proclaimed uh, today, Lord, so that uh, none who live, leave here uh, will not have been touched uh, by you in some way. These things would come to you in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Again, thank you for coming. My name is Larry Babin, one of the elders here at, at Bayless. And... It is a privilege to uh, share God's word with you uh, today out of the book of 1 Peter. The Sunday marks the first week of Advent, which means coming or arrival, particularly of something of having great importance. Many Christians observe the season of Advent not only as an occasion to reflect upon the Lord Jesus' coming 2,000 years ago, but also to celebrate his continued presence uh, with us today through the Holy Spirit. Finally, Advent reminds followers of Jesus to look forward to his future second coming with eager anticipation. The lighting of an Advent wreath is a custom that began in 16th century Germany. The wreath is a circular garland of evergreen branches representing God's eternal nature and goodness. Set on the branches of the Advent wreath are four candles, three purple, one pink, with a white candle at the center of the wreath. Each candle represents an aspect of the spiritual preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As a whole, the growing intensity of the light from these candles represent the coming of the light of Christ into the world. But you may be asking, why should we follow a 16th century tradition? 
Surely we are such more, so much more advanced and sophisticated uh, today. Is there any value in the season of Advent in the 21st century? Well, I believe that there is. In the classic 1965 holiday cartoon, A Charlie Brown Christmas, the protagonist Charlie Brown laments to his friend Linus, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown becomes further discouraged as he observes the widespread commercialization of Christmas. His dog Snoopy decorating his doghouse for a neighborhood lights and display contest. His sister Sally dictates a letter to Santa Claus asking for a long list of gifts and preferably cash. At a school play rehearsal, Charlie Brown finds that the nativity scene has been modernized with dancing, lively music, and a Christmas queen. Finally, in desperation, Charlie Brown cries out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? I can relate to Charlie Brown's plight. Perhaps you can too. If it was difficult to find the true meaning of Christian, Christmas in the holiday shuffle and bustle of 1965, how much more so today in 2020? We are hammered with ads for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Christmas decorations were on display on store shelves as soon as back-to-sale sales, back-to-school sales ended. And stories of COVID and political controversy continue to dominate our media. By celebrating Advent, the church makes the intentional effort to put a spotlight on the specifics of Jesus' incarnation. When this first Sunday of Advent rolls around, pastors and worship leaders have a unique and blessed opportunity to instill in their congregations a biblical sense of expectation and prepare them to go forth and minister during the Christmas season. There's something that seems a little off to me when a church waits until the Sunday before Christmas to begin highlighting the birth of our Savior. Advent helps the church celebrate, of, move the church's celebration from plays, presents, and parties, all of which are fine for what they are, to a much deeper and more profound awareness of Jesus Christ coming to walk among sinful man. And Jesus came not as expected, but as a humble servant to give himself over to death on a Roman cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Celebrating Advent helps churches to lead their people into a period of spiritual awakening and renewal. 
Celebrating Advent helps churches equip parents to uh, count down the days with their children to the coming of Christ, not just the arrival of Santa Claus. And the four weeks of Advent is an incredibly rich opportunity for gospel-centered family worship and devotion in the home, something the church can foster by recognizing this period of expectation. If you're here today, skeptical of the claims the Bible makes, I'm glad that you've come. Today's message will give you a chance to peek behind the curtain of Christianity and see why it is that followers of Jesus can navigate this world with a sense of hope. And this first week of Advent does focus on hope. In the English language, hope is defined as a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or to be true. But in the English vernacular, there exists the possibility that the expectation will not be fulfilled. I hope it doesn't rain, but rain may come. I hope I get the promotion at work, but it might not happen. However, the word that transliterates into hope in the Bible speaks not only to future events, but it also denotes a confident assurance. The New Testament word for hope does not allow for failure. Jesus is our living hope. His are the promises that will come through. And since we have a living hope for the future, we want to be sure that our influence as disciples of Christ in this world is not diminished by neglecting to focus on the world to come. The good news of hope is one that we, the church, need to proclaim and that the skeptical world needs to hear. In doing this, first of all, because hope helps us rise above our circumstances. Verse 3 and 4 in our passage tells us we are born again into a living hope and promises an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade. That's definitely something to look forward to. And verse 5 confirms that our salvation is guarded by God's power through our faith in Jesus. But those statements do not prevent verse 6 from acknowledging that various trials will come our way. Life is hard, and our circumstances often seem to control us. One of the driving motivations for people throughout history is to pursue happiness, or at least to avoid unhappiness. And happiness is most often defined by our circumstances. We respond to these situational realities by trying to get away from them if they are unpleasant or by trying to protect them if we find them favorable. Fixating on our circumstances, however, we can lose sight of Jesus. 
as our living hope. If we are not careful, we can allow unpleasant circumstances to trap us in a quagmire of bitterness or misery. We come to a place where we can't see a human solution and we neglect to look for a godly solution. And the reverse can also be true. Our lives could be going so well that we cease to pursue the things of God. Our comfort with the way things are, so we neglect evangelism. We ignore discipleship, things that we're called to do. Sometimes we even become lax in our pursuit of holiness and allow willful sin to creep back into our daily routines. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. Spurgeon's illustration reminds Christians that we are never without the hope of Christ and we should always be mindful of that. But it is in the midst of the darkest circumstances that we must be guided by that hope. Like a sailor navigating the seas by the stars above at night. Clinging to the hope of Jesus moves us beyond the here and now. Those temporary things that lift us up or pull us down. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul reminds us to look beyond our earthly lives and see eternity. In his 1952 book, Mere Christianity, apologist C.S. Lewis made this observation about the church. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. If you're a disciple of Christ, whether your circumstances are good or bad, your response should always be, how can Christ be glorified in this situation? By allowing Jesus to work in you and through you, regardless of the current state of your fortunes, the world will take notice and grow curious. What is the source of your hope? Why is it that you can face disappointment and disaster with an uplifted heart? But not only does the hope of Jesus help us rise above our circumstances, it also emboldens our witness. It is easy for a struggling church facing difficult times to pull back, to play it safe, to hunker down and wait for things to turn around. This is true for individual Christians as well. Too often in the past, this was the standard response at Bayless. And this defensive strategy led us to steadily decline. 
I had been told by more than one brother or sister over the years, Bayless can't afford to do missions. But the Bible tells us that we can't afford not to do missions. That is how the gospel goes forth. We commit a grievous error when we decide how obedient we're going to be to God's word based on the manpower or energy level or financial resources available for ministry. It was just three years ago that this congregation stood up and said, no more hiding. We're going to start doing things God's way and trust him for what we need. And what a blessed rise it's been so far. Notice that in verse 7 of our passage, we're told that the authenticity of our faith will be tested and result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus. My friends, that will not happen on the comfy recliner in your living room, but in the fiery crucible of a world broken in its sin. Not in a place of safety will you and I proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, but instead on the front lines of our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, the stores where we shop. The church to whom Peter wrote understood this all too well. Being a bold witness for Jesus in the first century, Israel could mean losing your family losing your job, even losing your life. Despite the risks, these early Christians stepped out in faith to share the gospel. The hope they placed in their Savior and their compassion for their friends, their families, their neighbors overcame their fear of being ridiculed, outcast, or killed. Being a true believer of Christ is not for the saint of heart, the faint of heart. While salvation is free, being a disciple will cost you everything. And the Bible gives many examples of professed believers who turned away from Jesus. And in so doing, prove their faith was not genuine. The price of following Jesus was too high for them to pay. They elevated their preferences and their comfort above the mission that they had been given. The temple veil that separated the hard-hearted nation of Israel from their God had been removed by the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it is because of His grace that we can stand with confidence before a holy God in the righteousness of our Savior and stand with boldness in this world that grows more hostile to the gospel every day. The Apostle Paul wrote about this new covenant we have in Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, 9, verse 12, excuse me. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Our approach to life and our proclamation of the gospel should be bumped up a notch or two because of this hope that defines us. Because of what Christ has done, 
the promises he has made, and the steadfast faithfulness he continues to show toward us, Baylor's Baptist Church should demonstrate a boldness for proclaiming the gospel that makes Jesus impossible to ignore in the South City, South County area of St. Louis. Through your witness and mine, the skeptics of our community will know who Jesus is. They may accept him. They may reject him. But they cannot plead ignorance of who he is if you and I are being bold in our witness. The question then becomes, can we, like Paul, legitimately claim to be courageous for the hope we have in Christ? If every believer here today shared the gospel with just one person each week, then by the end of 2021, over 3,000 people will have heard the gospel message. If every brother and sister who calls Bayless Baptist Church home would step forth and ask, what can I do to build the kingdom? We would not lack for hands to serve in ministry. One of our strategies at Bayless for doing this is our I3 cards. We write down three names of people that God has put on our hearts. We commit to pray for and to pursue intentional gospel conversations with people who have not yet accepted Christ. If you do not have an I3 card, I highly encourage you to pick one up out in the foyer. It's on our next steps wall. Fill that out before you leave. Then ask God, what is one step I can make this week to begin making sense of the gospel with just one of the people that you have put in my life? If we're honest, it isn't a lack of good news, the gospel message that stops us. It's a lack of boldness. Our culture admires courage. The soldier who stands his ground in the face of the enemy is a hail of a hero. While one who abandons his comrades in the heat of battle is branded a coward. We applaud the actions of a bystander who performs CPR on a fallen stranger. Who pulls an injured motorist from a burning car. While we look with disdain upon those who use their cell phones merely to record these tragic events rather than to phone 911 for assistance. Because we have the living hope of Jesus, our gospel witness should be on display wherever we go. Being ambassadors of reconciliation to a lost and dying world is not simply what we do, it is in fact who we are. If we live a full life but do not accomplish that, Nothing else we do will have mattered. Charles Spurgeon also said, When we preach Christ crucified, we have no reason to stammer or stutter or hesitate or apologize. And Spurgeon was right. We need, fear, we need not fear any man or any human agency for our mission. Greater still is our Savior who will sustain us in this mission. And glorious too 
will be the joy of hearing for all eternity. The songs of praise sung to the Lord Almighty from those brothers and sisters who accepted the free gift of salvation through Christ that was proclaimed from your lips and mine. Amen? Finally, not only does the hope of Jesus help us rise above our circumstances and make us bold witnesses, it also brings forth joy and peace. Before I accepted Jesus, my hope was in myself or for what others could do for me. But that hope was ill-placed. It always came up short. Consequently, true joy eluded me, and any peace I found was short-lived. Now that my hope is in Jesus, who never fails, my joy is renewed daily. My peace is everlasting. Notice in our passage in verse 8 that even though we do not see Jesus with our eyes, we love him, we trust him, we have inexpressible joy. Only with a living hope in Christ are such things possible. And that is countercultural to our society who want to know, feel, and touch, and taste Everything for to be proof. We have the body of work of Jesus and God's work in Scripture as evidence of how he works in the lives of men, women, and children. Strife and anxiety of life at home and around the globe ignite our emotions. As a result, fear, anger, prejudice, envy, misery... And all the negatives so prevalent in the world around us often seek to eclipse our joy and our peace that are ours in Jesus. But when we look beyond this life, hope reveals the character of Christ that should be continually shaping us to be more like him. Peace and joy will become more visible to us and in us. Hope redirects our attention away from ourselves and onto the person of Jesus and his glory. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That is God's purpose. That is God's plan. Hope, as revealed in Scripture, isn't some pipe dream. The living we hope we have in Jesus is not wishful thinking. It is a confident assurance that he is sovereign in the affairs of men. And that his promises are trustworthy and true based on the accounts of Scripture that we observe and what we observe in the lives of the brothers and sisters around us. With that hope comes a joy that is independent of our current state of happiness. With that hope comes a peace that permeates our present situation. The skeptic will look at the joy and peace that you and I display and be puzzled. How can we have joy? When the world is so miserable, what gives you peace 
in the midst of all the social, political, and economic conflict in our nation. Our hope in Christ is the central theme to our ministry. It's why we're here. The good news of Jesus is both our sole message and our sole motivation. Our gospel is our response to the skeptic who cannot find lasting hope or peace or joy in the devices, the philosophies, or the institutions of man. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon also said, The revealed word awakened me, but it was the preached word that saved me. And I must ever attach peculiar value to the hearing of the truth. For by it I receive the joy and peace in which my soul delights. And the gospel preached brings hope to the believer and the skeptic alike. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15 verses 12 and 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's Christ. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. For the first time in history, universal hope was possible, both for the Jew and the Greek. By believing in the name of Jesus. Hope is why Stephen stood his ground in the face of death as the stones began flying. Hope is why Paul refused to flee his jail cell when the chains miraculously fell from his hands. Hope is why John finishes his book of Revelation with the simple prayer, Come Lord Jesus. And hope is why you and I, I follow in the footsteps of Christ every day. God does not grant us peace and joy merely for a temporary state of comfort. We are blessed with these gifts so that we may be confident in the hope that lives within us, namely Jesus, who is coming again soon. We live in an age where self-reliance and self-confidence dominate our worldview. The kind of hope people long for, the kind of hope that seems to elude so many of our family and friends and neighbors is the kind of hope made possible only by saving faith in Jesus. Our own hope as believers must open our eyes to the hurting and dying world around us and cause us to be even more passionate about the central message of our faith, Jesus saves. And with that comes real living hope. In conclusion, our hope in Jesus helps us rise above our circumstances. It makes us bold witnesses for his gospel. And it brings forth joy and peace into our lives. Advent is a season of hope peace, joy, and love. Let us be bold in announcing these promised blessings from God and look forward with eager anticipation to the promised second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a great day that you have given us as we enter into this Advent season. Lord, let us take particular care, Lord. Uh, stir up boldness within us to look past the, the tinsel and the turmoil, Lord, that surround us, Lord, so that we may present the simple gospel's message to those around us. Lord, you have given us divine appointments. Let us fulfill those for the glory of Christ, the salvation of our friends and neighbors, and Lord, the joy of all people. Lord, let us take these words into our heart, Lord. Give us the confidence, give us the boldness, and Lord, use your Holy Spirit to conform us to what Scripture reveals to make us disciples who make disciples. We love you, Lord, and we come in the name of Jesus. Amen.